also um, I've got a heck of a year coming up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I'm, I I have these brief moments of extreme freakout of what the heck am I doing? Why am I this insane for doing all this at once? What was I thinking when I thought this could all be done at once? Uh huh. And then moments of more chill. As I said in the last part, I already don't have any staff, so I mean that's part of the thing. I wasn't expecting this. Uh, so, um, but you know, I've had some. Like I think I was. I mentioned this brief. The last, I mean, it's been a while since we actually done some podcasts together again because we 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 wanted a little slow down for the summer, but we still want to make sure we got our weekly contact out. Sure, I sure, actually sure. loved it when you did when you did the the crunch podcast. You're like, well, this is a bonus episode. We could do whatever we want. I'm like, it ended up being a bonus. Ended episode. up being so a real episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> ah, whatever, it's fine. You know what? We need. Hey, folks, we need breaks sometimes too, and it, it was a good way to. We each took a lead on one, and it gave us some time to just chill for a couple of weeks, which actually ended up being great for me for time wise. Anyways, yeah. I mentioned this a bit on the last time when I did, yeah, uh, when I did the Vatican II stuff, which I was like, I talk about Vatican II a lot. Probably because it's like in the front of my brain a lot right now. Yeah. But uh, I have a friend of mine who I met through Twitter, but in real life, he's a, he's, um, he's a professor out in uh, the East Coast there. In, um, and he suggested me a bunch of books on the French Revolution. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm doing some, I'm doing some, can, some connections with the French Revolution and the council right now. And that's kind of where my my stuff has been going. Not that the council, like the council, is an answer to that, essentially. Um, sure. Uh, and it's been like utterly fascinating, utterly fascinating. And I have to be careful, like, to not go down too deep a a um, a rabbit hole on that one, mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh my gosh, I could just I could just go deep. Because I'm like, no, I only need to do twelve to fifteen pages of work on this and Marxism <laughs> and a few other things. Read a couple books on each mm-hmm. thing, and that's enough, and be off. And, and this is the thing. The pressure is actually making me realize more and more, like, get the dang thesis done and just yeah. get it out of the way. Because I I, I cannot I, – it's very uh, – I am in one I – th- I mentioned this actually when we did uh, the Ber- St. Bernard's interview, which was, you know, in one sense, like, I'm very happy I'm doing my thesis while I'm in a parish. Sure. Because, A, it keeps me grounded, and, B, like, I really do see what I'm studying as, like, in a weird way, taking effect day to day in people, except I'm not in like confession saying, well, your problem is history is not properly meeting into ontology, <laughs> you know, but that's but, what podcasts are for. <laughs> exactly. But you spit like, I do see that problem playing itself out concretely in people's lives, which is a good thing. So it helps me like narrow the issue more and stuff like this. But the other side, like, I'm like, this is actually insane trying to run a parish and write a thesis at the same time. Uh-huh. It is actually insane. So, like, for the next year, I'm taking – my bishop has given me permission to take a week off for every month for the next calendar, for the next 12 months. Nice. And so that's what I'll be doing. I'm going to be – to go away somewhere to just do a bunch of writing. And actually, this last week, despite all the craziness I've been dealing with, I'm actually like I'm at right this morning on my ferry ride back from Seattle. I was at 4,400 words written, which is about 4.4 percent. I gotta, I gotta bring it down a bit. Sure. I was handwriting it first, like just printing out my ideas, then typing it in and reworking things, and it's actually working out to be a really good system. Um, and I'm like, I'm actually like, I'm feeling kind of good about it. And I'm just like, I, and, and all the pressure is doing this. This is the key. And they tell you this for years. Your thesis will not be perfect. Um, it will not deal with every question and every problem that is probably going through your brain that you, that pops up. 
it'll actually be imperfect and you need to learn to be okay with this. What you hear, you even acknowledge, but you never actually act on it. <laughs> <laughs> but now like the pressure of the year mm-hmm. is just so like, cause I'm doing my schedule for the entire year. Cause I'm like looking at, okay, where I fit this in and this in and this in with my week off every month, how am I going to fit all everything in? And I look at it all. I'm like, wow, I really need to get this thing done because if I don't, I can't, I just, I can't do it anymore. Right. I just can't do both. Mm-hmm. So I have to do it the next year. So it's like, what it's doing is putting up, say, write, send to your supervisors, let them critique the crap out of it, fix what they want you to fix. And then move on to the next section and just keep on plowing through. So, yeah. which is a good place to be. It takes a while for like, speaking of last week's podcast, it takes a while like in humility to say, yep, you know what? This is going to be like, okay. <laughs> and it's not going to be, there are going to be parts that are going to be probably even a little boring or repetitive of other research and that's okay. And just get done. And that's kind of where like, it's a kind of a good place of peace because it's making me less critical about, because I mean, it's a problem about ADHD. I overthink a lot in the sense of, because I'm, I'm always trying to think of every perspective and my brain kind of works that way. Like it's kind of always wonking around a problem. Helpful in many ways. Keeps you actually keeps you very pastorally flexible in a good way. Like, I'm like you hear a really weird situation or weird marriage case in the church. And you're like, yeah, yeah, we can deal with this A, B, and C. Like, like no problem, right? But it's also like crushing <laughs> because you're like, oh, but yes, there's this problem. But to be truly thorough, my thesis is going to have to be 10,000 pages, which is impossible. So I'm learning to say it's okay not to have an airtight argument all the time in every page. And I'm coming to peace with that. I'm so proud of you. What, of course, the podcast will become is the place for me to explore the other things that I'm not going to write down in my thesis. That's what I'm ready for. Brain. I'm ready for all the topics, all of your whimsical flights of fl- uh, of intellectual fancy that yes. you can just like skip on into the podcast and be like, I read this book about French Revolution and how it relates to Vatican one actually and then you can go from well, there yeah, actually i mean yeah, actually, actually yeah yeah, yeah I know. actually yeah um <laughs> and then we can have a whole fun podcast about it so get your thesis done so we can get to the real work of podcasting yes although actually as a little pointing ahead if you will uh um today i'm moving away from research going very parish oriented stuff today that's good. good also good, when you're done like, i've been one, like yeah. Go ahead. Also, when go you're ahead. done with your thesis, you can no longer use your thesis for banter, and you have to come up with something else other than your thesis. All I'm saying is, folks, just be ready for a year of who knows, like, because like this is the thing. Sometimes, like, some weeks, I'm like, well, you know, listen, we all have free time. Like, when, like, I, you know, we always say, oh, I don't have any time. Like, no, no, that's actually not true. Everyone has time. Sure. How, in the sense of like, but like. Everyone needs like time to just do absolutely nothing. Like there are Amen. there are those days where I'm like, I need to just literally sit on this couch for an hour and not do anything. Um, but you know, time is limited, and so some weeks it's like I haven't had any time to think about a podcast topic this week. So what have I, what have I been reading? I can talk about that. So. Mm-hmm. That can be a blessing or a curse depending on your temperament. So I both apologize. <laughs> And I also say you're welcome, depending on your what you like from this podcast. 
So speaking of this podcast, welcome to it. Welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. You know what's not okay, Harrison, Mm -hmm. Father Harrison, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that I had to change my shirt after my morning mass, my 7 a.m. morning mass. You know why? Why? Because I was shvetty, and I shvetted all through my shirt at a 7 a.m. mass. is it hot there right now or something like that? It's just so dang humid. Here's the oh, thing. Here's humid, the thing. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with summer. I had yep. my vacation. Now summer is supposed to be over. Like, hey, right. when I'm on, uh, when I'm at the pool in South Carolina, it's allowed to be hot. It's allowed to be humid. No problem. Go right. nuts, Mother Nature. I'm okay with being a sweaty mess because I don't because have to not, wear dress to clothes. You're not writing to meetings. You just go sit in the pool all day. Right. But when I sweat through like my dress pants and my dress shirts, it's very uncomfortable. And that shouldn't happen. I do not like being awake at seven o'clock in the morning. Okay. It's the great, okay. it's God's favorite joke that he decides to make me a priest and priests have to do things in the morning. He thinks it's mm-hmm. very funny, which can't object. It's hilarious, objectively speaking. Okay. Fine. It's one thing to do that in the winter. It's another thing to do that where, like, I am. Gr- I have to change my my amis, which is the little. If you don't know what amis yep. is, it's basically a sweat rag you wear around your neck, like at every single mass. I I don't have time to go to the laundry room. That's uh, the laundry. The um the dry cleaning. I, I'm done. I'm super done with this. There's there should be no reason for this at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm officially declaring summer over. Okay, it's past Labor Day now. So People, what I'm hearing back is you want to move to you want to move to San Francisco, where I, it's like perpetually in the mid 70s for the whole year. No, because here's another thing. Here's another thing. Um, uh, people should not live in sunny climates. San Francisco is not sunny all the time. It's, it's sunny it too much that, of the time. It, no, no, it's quite foggy actually. Okay, I've lived there. The point is, people should live in the darkness. This is important. Oh, so then you need to go north. You need to yes. go to like Whitehorse where it, the Absolutely. sun rises at 10 a.m. And it sets at like 3.30 p.m. Exactly. In, the late Dece- in late December. Because people who grew up in nice weather, they're soft, they're weak, and they will be the end of our species, mm-hmm. naturally speaking. Okay. All these people who lived on this island in South Carolina, they're way too happy. They're way too too fit and healthy and they just mm-hmm. think that everything in the world's gonna be handed to them because it's sunny outside no no no. you should be up in the north where survival living day to day forcing yourself to walk through the darkness of each day looking up at the sky and always seeing clouds that is where men are made that's where but women are made thing. this is that where we become does strong not exist what that place doesn't exist really because like in the summers, the further north you are, the longer the sun's up. Okay, it's up longer, but it's still at least in a good place where they form good people like Pittsburgh. It's still cloudy That's most of the time. North. That is not north. Okay, I forget that you live in Canada. Everything above the United States doesn't matter to me. So Pittsburgh's I am below pretty the 49th, north. So actually Well, I don't understand numbers. So there. The point is that people don't understand like you go to a a southern place or a sunny place to vacation so that you can appreciate the gift and not take it for granted so two things people shouldn't live in sunny places you go to hot places in the winter that's when you go to hot places that's fine but only as a vacation you should not live there yeah yeah okay so it needs to stop being so freaking humid and people need to stop living in sunny places where they're allowed to be like happy all the time because of the weather 
It's ridiculous. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm a little bit hungry. Uh, okay. <laughs> I need some coffee. Other than that, I'm fine. Okay. Okay, you're fine. Do you know what else is going to make people really fine right now? What? It's it's back, baby. <gasps> it's time for the <gasps> Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. shouldn't maybe be so excited about this segment so actually because i i I think a little pre-warnings here in case there's uh younger ears around we're going to be dealing with a very sensitive topic so if you're on children you might want to either pause us for the moment or 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 place them in the other room or actually pause it right now because i have to bring up something real quick before you get into your your serious tweet topic okay okay the other you know it was a few weeks ago we answered a question about the tooth fairy yeah and uh Right. We 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 yeah. we talked about the tooth fairy not being real as a matter of fact sort of thing. It was one of the most celibate things we've done, and I got several <laughs> angry text messages from parents saying, "What are you doing?" <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was very funny. That is but pretty funny. Everyone's been warned about stuff. Everyone's been warned. All right. Okay. All right, folks. So we're gonna deal with some tweets uh, from Father uh, James Martin here. And because oh, I, ha- I, have some, I have some feels about mm-hmm. this. Okay. So uh, he says, this is his first tweet. This is the original tweet. Archbishop Rembert Weekland has died. An erudite scholar, gifted pastor and Benedictine abbot primate. His legacy was marred by the revelations that he paid money to a man with whom he had been in relationship. in a relationship. I considered him a friend and mourn his loss. May he rest in peace. People um, were not happy with this. Why so, would they not be happy with that, Father Harrison? Well, I'll get to that in one second. Okay. Because people are like, hey, like this guy did these things. And his response to a lot of people was, have your friends ever done anything sinful? Okay. Then, mm-hmm. then someone else quote tweets him with uh, a, a, a screenshot of Weekland uh, of the Wikipedia page on Weekland, which says, according to Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, a deposition released in 2009 that Weekland shredded reports about sexual abuse by priests. Weekland admitted about allowing priests guilty of child sex abuse to continue as priests without warning parishioners or alerting police. Weekland stated in his autobiography that in the early years of the sexual abuse crisis. Sexual abuse scandal. He did not understand that sexual child sexual abuse was a crime. Was a oh. crime. Okay. So okay. This is we got we got some more. Father James then stepped back a bit. He says, "Dear friends, last night many people were angered by two tweets about uh, Archbishop Rembert Weekland, who committed many sins and crimes and who died at ninety-five. Obviously, I condemn." his covering up of sex abuse and his paying out hush money detailed here. 
he links to a New York Times article. I can see how, how people thought I was downplay or even ignoring his sins and crimes. I'm sorry for not being clear about that. I was also surprised by Catholics saying not only that they could never be friends with someone like that, but that he should rot in hell, etc. Um, I take uh, seriously Jesus' scandalous friendship with sinners and tax collectors and considered Archbishop Weakland a deeply sinful man, a friend. The heart of Jesus' message is that no one is beyond God's infinite mercy, not even a murderer, not even Rembrandt Weakland. I apologize for seemingly excusing his many sins and crimes. That wasn't my intent. I condemn those actions and should have been clearer. But... I also ask if people would have sat beside Jesus as he ate with sinners and tax collectors, as he often did in Galilee and Judea. May God have mercy on the soul of Archbishop Robert Weekland, and may God have mercy on all sinners. Then there was a third tweet. Wait, which can, I, I actually, can I jump in real quick yep. just with a comment on that? Because that's the most amazing so-called apology I've heard in a long time. Because it does several things. It does the, the classic... Uh, I'm sorry for the way that you feel. It actually has nothing to do with me. This is your problem. And I guess I'm sorry for that, which is not a real apology. And then it's also a lecture saying that you should feel guilty about something else. So now you need to <laughs> repent. Not me. This has nothing to do with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Do people take that well? So, uh, no. I mean, it was... It was so then I, cool. I actually... I can't find it at the moment. But... Um, and then he actually... Uh, issued a, a an apology with no explanation essentially like he's the, he, the butt stuff was kind of removed and, okay and, and he, he got there said, I'm, I'm really sorry he got, he got there. there okay <laughs> and, and listen and i i will say this before i go into any more of this okay mm -hmm. it is um um was i you know i gave him credit on twitter i don't i can't um when it comes to writing something on twitter mm -hmm. my only uh, proof of things is what you say so I have to take him at his word that he means mm -hmm. what he says at the end, sure. that maybe there was a process of conversion here and we should be grateful for this. Okay. Yeah. And yes, there is the outrage machine that is Twitter that can be at work here. Sure. But this one uh, really disturbed me. So, okay. Just as a little context um, and, and, and uh, um, the guys at the pillar uh, covered this as well on their podcast last week. So if you want a, another take on that or whatever, I'm not, I don't want to play like beat up on tweets per se, but I, 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 for me, it was like symbolic of like, have we not learned anything <laughs> at all? Okay. Because the, it was the first tweet, especially like it, yeah. it revealed a lot to me of an attitude of a, someone on my side died. Yeah. And I'm really sad about that. And listen, I'm not saying he can't be a friend with him or anything like that. But Weakland, like, was one of the more notorious guys in the sex abuse crisis, okay? Like, the he used diocesan money to pay off someone who he's claiming he had a loving relationship with, but the other person's claiming abuse and, and worse crimes, okay? Yeah. I'm not going to go too much detail there. And... and I've had some encounters um, with very um, with notorious sin mm -hmm. in people's lives, and I've heard the same language. I loved that person. It couldn't have been what from the abuser saying this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Like, I was like, and when you hear someone say that to you, it is. Um, 
it's chilling. Yeah. The evil. Okay. Does Father does this Archbishop Weekland deserve mercy? Well, that's what Jesus came to offer for everyone. Yes. So yes, we pray for that mercy. Sure. But I don't think his public actions allow us to eulogize him. No. I think they could if there were public signs of repentance and penance. Like I am being more and more convinced we need to reinstitute some forms of like liturgical forms of like public repentance. Mm -hmm. Even like not excommunication, but maybe like exclusion from the church for a while. Yeah. Of some and some or some or like, you know, being sent to a monastery to live like like a hermit life essentially for a while and penance and and solitude or something like that like we need to re bring this stuff up because there is a path to mercy but you need to show remorse and i i mean i don't know everything around the weakland stuff but remorse has to be shown and it ha when public things happen public remorse has to be proven there is it, and I think this is one of the problems with Father Martin's tweets. There's many, and I'll, I'll shut up here in a second. I, I, I got, and I recognize I have been dealing with some things that really just help me accentuate why this is not okay, and we got to stop this language, okay? Mm -hmm. um, he is confusing the difference, and it's a he's confusing the difference between public and private sin. Mm -hmm. there is a real difference like and not only that like to my knowledge Weakland has never actually acknowledged any sorrow for any wrongdoing any like real like he's not really shown any real sorrow he never showed any real sorrow we pray for him I prayed for him at mass I did I really did um, but there's no sense of sorrow that human form of justice that is also part of like the order of things in the church is not satisfied. And this is why I think pe this is the interesting thing. People of all sorts of like theological worldviews, if you will, or leanings were outraged by this. Like, yeah. It was like a, it was a weird unifying force moment <laughs> in Twitter, which is like something that never happens. James Martin building bridges across Catholic Twitter. Right. Uh, <laughs> but we, we we have to be careful like because it's also like showing this like groupism of like like all, here's the thing mm -hmm. and I'm going to shut up <laughs> I promise if he had said Archbishop Weakland has died I knew him well and I'm saddened by the loss but I'm also saddened by the hurt that his actions caused publicly to the church and I pray for reparation for that. And I pray for mercy for his soul. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just making off the cuff. I would have actually been fine with that. Yeah. But an erudite scar. Marred. His legacy. His, his legacy was marred. marred. This is the same stuff we heard from McCarrick. Like, this is the exact same language. And I'm like, we have learned nothing. We have learned actually nothing. And this is not okay. <laughs> like, I'm just like... I was in rage mode about this, to be honest, because it, it was just it was it was just symbolic of something deeper that clearly has not. It's all been politicized so much that we actually have not dealt with the real spiritual issue at all. End rant. 
Okay, so um, I first of all, I applaud you for um, you've expressed yourself in ways less put together about this topic. So the fact that you're able mm. to do that is kudos to you. Good, good. Um, the reason why deaths like this can be politicized is because the sin is not taken seriously. The sin is not taken seriously among a generation of clerics for this reason. That a large number of that sort of generation of clerics grew up with in seminary, are friends with, or they themselves um, know about or have participated in relationships that break their promise of uh, chaste celibacy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, It's... this is just what happened in the 70s and earlier on um, a lot. And even people who um, praise God were faithful to their promises. Um, they know people. And it's very difficult yeah. to know someone. Yeah. And they, here's, here's the thing, because monsters aren't monsters. They're people. Yeah. So this is what it's like the baffling thing about McCarrick and others is that you know, you might hear a homily and it's perfectly fine and good. And maybe somebody even came to Christ because of what something he said. On the other hand, he was a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would like it to be more simple for someone to yeah. kind of be the same. But it's like all that's contained in one person, which is, is I'm in no way excusing it. It's, it's just as mm-hmm. evil. Um, but what happens there is that if you've only known the guy who's your friend and you never suffered abuse, that is incredibly difficult for the brain to accept. Right. Yeah. Like that's a kind of dichotomy. That's a, that's a contradiction that, and and faced with an evil that is so gigantic and horrible and dark, Mm -hmm. there's just a refusal to acknowledge it. Yeah. There is a lack of courage. There is a lack of, faith mm-hmm. a lack of understanding of of sin and grace okay yeah uh, when faced with something so genuinely difficult to approach okay and so someone like james martin can totally put aside that man's sins because he doesn't actually see them as sins because he can't he has allowed himself to be blinded by whatever relationship or agendas that he has. And this is what you see with so many bishops. This is what you saw. So many bishops. This is what you see in the PA grand jury report. And this is what I I see in various ways. It doesn't mean that, you know, that every priest of that generation is an abuser, but, you know, probably mm-hmm. had a, a fling with another guy or mm-hmm. with another priest or maybe even had a genuine secret relationship for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's hard when you are living in a contradiction of your state of life to then accuse other people of living in contradictions of their state of life, mm-hmm. because then you actually have to face your own, your own reality and your own broken integrity. Yeah. And instead of doing that, we just ignore it. Yeah. And so you have all, so the idea that I, all, the one thing that got me, I think someone else pointed this out on Twitter, that the statement that James Martin made, I obviously condemn this. I'm sorry, nothing's obvious right now. The church has lost so much credibility and so many members in it have totally failed in this. It's not obvious that you condemn it. Um, you have to actually outright condemn it because there's so many people who haven't mm-hmm. or have 
offered, you know, eulogizing yeah. people who you should just quietly bury and pray for. Right. And, and just quickly, just as a side of that, like the Archdiocese of Milwaukee issued a very glowing thing about Weakland. Sure. Like, so this is not just Martin, okay? Like, this is like, there's this yeah, weird... Yeah, no, it's not just Martin. It's, it's... It's like, there's this weird... Like, I'm like... Martin just has a know. lot of Twitter followers, but it's it's, uh, I'm like, I'm it's like, an entire I'm generation. Like pulling, I'm pulling my hair out. Like, I just don't get it. Like, and here's the thing, okay? Like, just as a little... Uh, just to show where you're not, like, beating up just on quote-unquote one side here, okay? Because there was also some allegations against Cardinal Willette that came out about a week ago as well. Yeah. Much different. Like, very different situation and scenario. Not criminal charges, but part of a class action lawsuit. And like, and I'll be honest, like I'm, I'm like hearing this. I've met Cardinal Lutt on a, like a handful of occasions. Um, definitely within my kind of school of theology, and 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 there is that part of me that wants to say, well, like, how is this possible? Because like he's on my side, right, yeah, or something right. like that, right? Or like not to say I have a side. That's I think my side. Like, anyways, yes. Um, that's not the right framing of it. Sorry. Not my side, but it's like someone who shares a similar worldview to me. Sure. Within the church, okay? Yeah. Which, and there can be many worldviews in the church, actually, which is a beautiful thing about the church. But, um, okay. And I read, like, uh, I read it, I'll be honest, I actually read it a little bit more skeptically. Sure. And I was, um, but I, you know, I've been back and thinking about that and thinking, I want the truth to come out. And I was talking to a friend about this and they said, you know, essentially the only way the truth can come out is for a really intense, like investigation of the whole problem. Mm -hmm. Otherwise a question will always hang around him. Right. And I thought, you know what, actually that's a good point. I think that's, it's actually, well, let's sit, let's let's say, let's just, let's just, let's just, uh, uh, think for a second this actually was a false claim for example that was proven through a very rigorous investigation Mm -hmm. that's actually is that is it just that he had to go through that if it was a false claim no 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 it's not justice but justice is restored by virtue of the investigation and his and his and if he's guilty that tells you something and we need to know that and i want the truth right so it is interesting because like at the same time like I actually like it was a weird experience if we're going to be like honest about this and I think I have to be if I'm going to call it Father Martin I'm like oh wait I get a little bit where he was coming from all of a sudden oh absolutely and the temptation is there for everybody right I was like oh that's not good Mm -mm. (laughs) and I think this is the thing I think this is what it calls out is to say we have to stop thinking this person is of my theological camp or ecclesial worldview and we have to start saying I want the truth yeah and it's that simple the bells are ringing. The bells are ringing. It is time for the Angelus in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> so, you know, I, I yeah. Um, sorry, and I cut you off. Is there anything else you wanted to say about that? No, or? there was something yeah, yeah. I was going to say about it, but now I'm really distracted by our church bells. <laughs> yeah. And it may do what I think we beat up on it enough. I, I just, I think we need to do a lot of soul searching. Yeah, we still do. Um, and I think we just need some ways of like, if we want mercy, I want mercy too. I also, but mercy does not neglect justice. And, and mercy, you don't, the mercy do that person should not come at the expense of harming others. And it should not come at the expense of the harm that, like, you don't just say, oh, you're forgiven. 
to someone who who did something like this because that's not justice to any of the victims right right like there is something to that older school church thing around like you have to go on a pilgrimage carrying weights around for 10 months or something like that yeah doing to show that you're sorry if because if you really desire god's mercy you need to do something it's not about actually earning god's mercy here no it's actually about earning human trust again and saying yes you are a sinner who who actually is welcome into god's fold again mm-hmm. and i think we actually we need those public liturgies of penance again yeah I'm i for think it. It, i think i actually really think it could become in a real way of acknowledging because otherwise we're just gonna be scapegoating constantly in circles mm-hmm. and and because like, this is the other thing because what how do we want to solve this we want to solve it by bureaucratic processes mm. And that is not going to heal anything at all. It's a Band-Aid. We need real justice and mercy at the same time. In mm-hmm. the ecclesial sense. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Do you want to invite uh, our younger audience back for the rest of your yes. topic? Yes. <laughs> Welcome back, kids. <laughs> actually, and some of this, some of our next topic is actually going to be very pertinent to, to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um because we're going to head on into some good old presbyteral exhortations and talk about parish and catechesis. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. All right. I have hinted on this podcast many times. Yeah. Some secret ideas and plans I've had about my parish. This has been ruminating for months. And I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to just boast just a little bit here. Like I'm actually kind of in the healthy sense, I hope proud of myself of like not spilling the beans too early of oversharing ideas without letting them just sit for a while and let them like kind of refine. And cause like the podcast is an excuse for me to kind of, Blurt yeah. out ideas and I and about parish, um, but I finally kind of made it known last week through our bulletin what our plan for the next year is. And again, I am probably a little crazy doing all this now as I think about it, but it's I'm too deep in now. It's mm-hmm. too late. It's like uh, Macbeth, and he's at the halfway point of the river. It's easier. <laughs> it's just as easy to go forward as it is to go backwards. Yeah, uh, that's that's. Uh, I was actually past that. Okay. I was already too far forward, too far in. Um, we're, we're, we're doing this now. It's too late to back out. Because um, I've been reflecting. And part of it is actually like just reflecting on experience. I think that's really vital and important because experience is a primary place where the truth of Christ is verified. Okay? And 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 we all talk about constantly, like, oh, there are pro-, you know, the parish structure is broken. The, the, the diocese structure is broken. Like, everything's broken. It's all broken. It's all falling apart. It's everything's, yeah. the world is ending. The church is ending. <laughs> we're, we're done. It's yep. over. Everything's falling apart. The sky is falling. Cats and dogs aren't living together. You know, it's just bad. Everything's bad. And it's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not completely wrong. <laughs> it's not completely wrong. And it came out, it's come out of like, my, not my frustrations, but like, I've been reflecting a lot about what it means to be a pastor mm-hmm. and how people understand the role of a pastor what the role of a parish is. And um, so I've been kind of pondering these two ideas for one of them. I've actually been pondering for about seven years 
around catechesis. And the other one I've been pondering for the last six months or four months, I should say, actually, after our priest retreat that we had in May. Because I don't know what your experience is like. I mean, again, you're also a parochial vicar, so it's also a little different. Yeah. But there's probably similar experiences in the sense, too, of I find we like from what is the definition that one of the synods of bishops put out? Like if they were to interpret the, the, the ecclesiology or the, the understanding of the church of the council, what is the, the two word phrase that they used at the 1985 synod on bishops on, on Vatican II's ecclesiology? Do you know what it was? Uh, you have to say that question for me again. <laughs> okay. So Vatican II has a lot of titles for the church yes. in Lumen Gentium. Okay. And people were overemphasizing different titles mm-hmm. sometimes to the neglect of like the central theme of the whole thing. And so John Paul II in 1985, I think it was 1985, I called a synod of bishops together to talk about, like, what is the church? Okay. And they came up uh, with a two-word phrase for this. And when I say it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, duh. But um, sacrament of salvation. Nope. Oh, uh, what? Hierarchical communion. Oh, so it's like real simple, like <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, when I said, I was like, that's why I was like, yeah. When I say it, you're like, oh yeah, the doy, yeah. Uh, right? And and I, I actually, I think that's a beautiful definition, right? It recognizes us, it recognizes order at the essence of the church, but it also recognizes that order is at the service of a communion, and that mm-hmm. communion is at the service of an order, and that they they interpenetrate each other, okay? Which is really the life of the Trinity, yeah, right. Jesus is eternally begotten. Everything he has comes from the Father from all eternity. Like there is a, there is a, I'm putting this big air quotes, there is a sort of dependence, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a church. But is that your experience of parish as being a priest? Is hierarchical communion, like where there's lay co-responsibility and the priest, you know, has to govern things, but or, like it's order, like it's like, there's this, there's this sense of like a, a of a, a sim- almost like a symbiosis of mm-hmm. hierarchy, communion, and communion. Is that your experience? Oh, uh, my experience, and this is this is not to, because we're all guilty of this. My experience yeah. is is, um, imagine a business, but one that doesn't work yet still stays in business. That's kind of my experience of like okay. we're all doing our best. So- Okay, let me rephrase, let me rephrase the let me rephrase the question a bit, and then how do you understand like how is authority and like responsibility lived out in the parish? Is it like is like I guess okay, I'll, I'll maybe stop leading it so much, but like my experience has been that it's still very much this notion of everything goes through the priest and from the priest. Sure, like it's very just this old top down model. I think in most places, place. yes, that's okay. how it works. Yeah, yeah, okay. And like I get it, and 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 especially for maybe like older generations, for example, I think like this is all they know, right? Mm-hmm. So, and for whatever reason, we actually did a pretty bad job about this after the council. Um, and I hate it to be honest. I don't because I'm like I'm like I was like reflecting like why is this this like why does this frustrate me so much? Mm-hmm. Like I don't care if you spend fifty bucks on mugs for something. Like just just spend <laughs> the money. Like who cares? Yeah, it's fifty dollars. Um, and I was like, oh, we haven't formed people for hierarchical communion. But then this gets to the other thing. You can preach till you're blue in the face about this, and it will go in one ear and out the other. Why? Mm-hmm. Because people need an experience of it first. 
And hmm. so we haven't structured the parish in such a way that they can experience what hierarchical communion is. Like, in other words, we haven't structured parishes to be experiences and encounters of communion at all. This gets to another problem then. I'm going to lay a lot of problems first. Okay. Um, is Sunday Mass the best place for that experience of communion? I mean, it is. Like, it is in one sense. But, like, like let's say, like, in your terms, like, your weekly... Are you going to grow in friendship with people at the parish when there's like a thousand people at mass? And, I, and I think this whole idea of uh, the mass being like the super welcoming community building time is just the dumbest thing. Yeah. Like in a certain yeah. sense, there is a spiritual communion being mm-hmm. built about and there's something mm-hmm. that happens there. But trying to make the mass the same as like the gathering hall of a Protestant church, it's not going to work. And nobody really wants it that way. No. Why is that? Do you think? Because the mass is for it, it's a <sighs> sacrifice. Yeah, it's a sacrifice. Sure, um, and it's not that the mass isn't like so. There is a kind of communion that happens when you're all at mass, um, yeah. uh, in a human sense as well. Like when you see the little babies in front of you and the older people, like you're all there. Common experience, like on a natural level, there is something of that. You grow an affection for the people around you. Okay, but it's not the same as a kind of um, social uh building of communion in that sort of way um because you're all there as one body to worship god um it's just a different thing than what's going on in a social hall it's it's Mm -hmm. the purpose is different yes yeah it's and it's not i'm not saying you don't need one or the other but it's just they can't be both yeah yeah and I think there is a need for like real intense personal communion. Um, but I don't think this, I think we've been putting our energy in the wrong place for that. This is, guess, guess that's the next problem. Yeah. And I think this actually speaks to a lot of the generational divides in parishes. Cause I really want to kill all of that and actually reunite generations. Say like, who cares in the end? Like, yeah. wouldn't it be great if you didn't need a, any ministry for any particular generation? <laughs> Almost like we could just say, Hey, we just love it here because this is the family. Nah. You know? But hmm. don't you need don't you need a young adult group so that they can find other young adults to get married to? Even though we pretend that's not why we have them. Well, it's possible. It's po- like, I'm not saying that it's all bad, right? It's just yeah. to say these things can accentuate the divide, yeah. Rather than uh, and don't actually can can depending on how they run can inhibit communion yes. of the whole parish. Okay. Yeah. This gets to the next question, though. Then, what is a parish? A parish is can, a can law, can a law, portion baby. of the body of Christ, or a geographic. What's the actual phrasing? Second part, second part, second part. You just said uh, geographical. Geographical. It's a, it's a geographical area. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like that. That is actually the first. It, it's actually a area, not the building. Like so. This is like yeah. where people are like oh, church is more than building. I'm like well. Yeah, but it's also like that's it's not competitive though. Like their building is the organizing yeah. communion centered place where we go to worship in Christ's sacrifice. But the idea is that responsibility for the parish is actually the whole territory. Yeah. There's like so place matters. Like like where you are matters. Like this is very important stuff. This now final problem. Final problem. I promise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like this is all the stuff I've been thinking. This is good. About. I've been I've been failing all your questions. Let's see what this one's gonna okay. be. <laughs> um, how do you think does modernity and, and modern living 
aid or does it aid in building communion or does it or is it yeah does it aid in that do you think yes or no no definitely not that's easy right. one i got that one yeah okay good good good, good it does good, the opposite good, of yeah. that yeah it atomizes it atomizes us right? into consumers that's that's yes. the only thing we need and, and like like it it's like especially in north america we just love to just expand out instead of like building close in mm-hmm. suburbs baby if you go to europe everyone's like close together in yeah, a really close. cool way Oof, gross. well actually honestly I actually I think it's a very Catholic thing actually I think Uh-oh. it's one of the hangovers of Catholic culture in Europe uh, the fact that they don't want to just like expand out and out and out to have more property or whatever right okay but here's the thing we for older parishioners the parish was a very unifying place it was where you went to do everything it was the source of your life yeah but we allowed modern forms of living to take over as the primary like ways that we socially order our lives. And we, and the parishes have essentially been bending over backwards to accepting that mm-hmm. reality instead of taking confidence in our Christian faith, that the churches, the churches, one of actually really is the church's goal doesn't in a non integralist sense is to order society yeah, and to order life. Is that what happens in a parish today? <laughs> Uh, I mean, sometimes yeah, we I try mean, or we, we try. Yeah, yeah. we try, yeah. I guess. <laughs> right. We try, we try because I don't think we've been taking seriously place and these smaller encounters of communion. So this is, this is the big problem that's in my head. Okay. Yeah. It's too big a problem. I give up. Let's just all go home. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, and I, so anyways, at a priest retreat. Um, Archbishop Miller is giving his talk and he's talking about like pastoral closeness. I'm like raising my hand, like, dude, like how, how, like, come on. Like I'm on like a crap ton of dialysis committees. I'm doing my PhD. I got a parish to run. Like I'm just spread thin. Yeah. He made a little, he just made us a little off the cuff comment. He said, I think the new ecclesial movements have something to teach us. And that's all he said. Mm -hmm. I said, Oh, well, I know communion liberation. Like that's the one I'm kind of, familiar with I've, sure. I've gone to school community a bunch of times when i was in seminary what is this huh okay well i went to pray with it and it was like a lightning bolt moment for me which was we essentially need these in, these smaller encounters of communion that are liturgically that are implicitly liturgical and sacramental without having to be explicit about it hmm. and so i'm like well this is how we start building communion by making place matter so like people instead of I want less gatherings all the time at the church property per se. I want people's homes to become a place of gathering to make like that the home is a place of sanctity and it is and like a family as uh, the fundamental building blocks of society is also like the domestic church and like there is an ecclesial parochial aspect even to the home, right? And so I want people to gather in a place regularly where they they love where they go mm-hmm. in people's homes. And so this is like the first prong of what I'm trying to do in my parish this year, which is we're starting like, and these are not, these are different than Protestant small groups for one, I think for two big reasons that I want it again to be liturgically and sacramentally based. And by this, I mean, it's that we start off with liturgy somehow, like maybe if it's, if I'm there, maybe we'll say a mass in someone's home. The kids see this and they, especially the little ones, like, 
they'll make that connection between the home and the church mm-hmm. and like the implicitness of it all will help them see like home is actually a place where faith is lived and mm-hmm. it's holy things can happen here and everything. And it's right. Really, like, it's not like, just in the church building. Yeah. Right. And that, wait, that church stuff happens here and vice versa. And yeah. that actually where home is, is sanctified because of the church, et cetera. Or you pray evening prayer and maybe sing a few songs or something like that. Okay. Yeah. But then for, I'm very big on, on, Ratzinger brings out this point for me and I, it was so this is really the cool thing is like it's actually being informed by a lot of my studies which he says that event precedes dogma mm-hmm. yeah the so for those who are confused by such a phrase a simple idea is the disciples encounter the risen Jesus and then they say Jesus is Lord and is risen the yeah. latter is the dogmatic statement that explains and helps them understand the event that they've encountered. So you need to give people not the dogma first, you actually need to give them the experience in the event. So how do we do this? Well, we enter into kind of like a quasi Lexio Divina space whereby we read a scripture passage together and we encounter the event of Jesus, we experience him risen, speaking alive today through the word, that the scriptures are not just this dead word that tells me about event 2,000 years ago, but actually it is really and truly a sacrament in many ways. It actually, I would actually argue it, it really is a sacrament in yeah. some very profound ways, um, whereby Christ is speaking to me today. So let's, the example I keep on using is John, like I think it's John 21, right? Where Jesus says, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins retained, they are retained. So then in this, in this small group now, we're going to start talking about how I've encountered and experienced the challenge of forgiveness or not mm. forgiveness or something like this, right? Yeah. Like, oh, someone at work to me was, has been a real jerk to me lately. Um, and, or, you know, I got this podcast co-host who's just always ignoring my text. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's like, we're, I'm like, I'm looking at my experience. Like, this is not subjectivism. It's not just saying, I think Jesus is saying this. Or it's not about saying, like, trying to interpret his word. It's mm-hmm. why I'm letting the word interpret my life. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not, it, it, it's, it's, the scriptures are doing an exegesis on me. <laughs> yes. Whereby I, I start to see Christ actually concretely in my experience all the time. Because that's actually what he does as being risen. Then... We do maybe like a five to 10 minute catechesis on in that case, like confession. So you, there's your dogma. Mm-hmm. We always do catechesis first before experience and encounter. Hmm. But really from, and it's not to say like it's always one or the other, but it's just to say like, actually, fundamentally experience precedes everything. And, and then you have some sort of social time. And that this is gonna be, I want this to be the building blocks, the foundation of the parish whereby it helps people understand and experience the parish as being more than just the parish building. They see the home as being something sanctified. They experience in an implicit way, liturgy and sacrament by hearing the scriptures, hearing them as alive. It becomes an easy place to invite people who maybe aren't Christian. They come to it for a while. Then they go to mass finally and they see, wait, essentially we've been doing like liturgy of the word in people's homes and it opens them up to the logic of sacramentality that then opens them up to the Eucharist. Um, there's a lot, like for me, it's essentially saying, uh, hey, modernity, you suck. Yeah. And we're going to actually start forming against you mm-hmm. by taking place, home, location, locality, and intimate friendship seriously. And it becomes this life-giving place. So then as a pastor, like my, 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 my so I got, you know, we only have so much time here, but, um, my big dream is 
imagine if I had like 25 groups like this in my parish mm-hmm. of like maybe 12 to 15 people. That's maybe half my mass attendance right there, maybe a bit less. And then I go to maybe two of these groups every week. And within the span of four or five months, I've seen half my parish and I've shared with them and they've shared with me, our, our locals, we're getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. And then like, you, you know, you have some of these groups saying like some people are like, Hey, I really want to do something for the poor. You know, this, this word about serving the poor, Jesus' words about the poor really can touch my heart in such a way that it's asking me to do something more. Well, now parish council and the pastor are doing what they're supposed to do with governance, which is not create new plans and, and all these new things. It's governing charisms and calls mm-hmm. and orient them to what's doable. Like, so if a family with six kids says, we want to serve the poor, I'm like, actually not yet. Maybe do it at Christmas or Thanksgiving or something like that. But now you, it's a nice thing to do, but you got, you got enough on your hands. You're both working, whatever, right? Yeah. You're a retired person and you want to do something like that. Great. How can we help you? Well, let's orient that for you. So we discern care. So like, we're not the planners. We're the, we're, it's, it's, it's proper governance. And it, and it grows up organically from below. So that is like my first prong. And I know I've kind of monologued here, but what do you, what are your thoughts? thinkings so everything i i like this i like it for several reasons one is because not every family is going to be able to like host by themselves but they won't have to because Mm -hmm. everyone gets together to make the thing happen they just Mm -hmm. need a location for it right so the idea of not having the resources that's dismissed by it's the entire group working on this thing um and there becomes a kind of over time a familiarity and ease with like we all know that we live messy lives as a family but we're all going to do this together great love it um the one thing that's sticking in my head Mm -hmm. i'm thinking like i like thinking about um there's some i believe there's some families in my parish that kind of do this or something close to this already Mm -hmm. and i can see them like jumping in and doing it more in an organized kind of uh personal way sure but i think just okay the big thing is most people won't want to do this because i say that because i while there is a genuine desire for community in our culture because there's so lacking um and that's the reason for a lot of our weird politics and and so on and so forth um there's also a deep fear of actually being known or being vulnerable Mm -hmm. to another and Mm -hmm. letting someone into your house i don't know how often that happens anymore um right but this is kind of the idea is to say yeah that fear that's modernity sucking the life out of you yeah (laughs) so but here's what you're not wrong actually i think you're dead right about that fear um but so this is why like so how we're starting it off is very small and simple this year in a way it's something already established which is my young adult slash university group that Mm -hmm. i try to meet twice a month and i'm asking once a month for a different because essentially i'm starting with families young adults not because i don't want others involved but like they're a group that i know i can work with most easily to start off with sure because they're kind of pretty committed if they're coming to one of these things already to their faith but it's not to end there. Like I want them to become like the building blocks to envelop the whole parish in many mm-hmm. ways. Um, so I'm asking a different family once a month to host a young adult group at their home. And we're going to do, and so the young adult group is going to be this method. And 
then these the ideas that the families can be involved like you know the parents maybe even like some of the older kids can be involved in the small group sharing and the idea is to give them experience of this so that if they enjoy that they'll say i want something like this too like i want them to like again it's not saying here's my pitch and i want you to what do you think like do you want to start a small group because yeah. that will be fearful for them yeah but they've experienced it often just host they don't have to do anything else like they don't they don't have to lead it like this is the thing like if, if these groups mm. grow someone can host someone else can be the leader right like right. it doesn't necessarily have to be one of the same thing but the parents and the kids experience it it's also good for the kids to see young adults actually like loving yeah. their faith and it everything is. like there's all sorts of other like I've got like a zillion implicit hopeful experiences encounters <laughs> that I think will just happen naturally yeah but that the parents will say hey I, I really like that like I would like something like that too mm-hmm. oh great I'll put you down um when I get enough people, we can start another group. Right. And then like the word starts to get out a bit more and people are like, Oh, that sounds interesting. Can I come check that out? Absolutely. Like, so the groups have to be open enough to like let people in a bit to let yeah. them see us. And like, I want something more permanent like this. Okay. We're getting a little big. Like we have to start another group here. So then maybe one person from that group saying, I'm willing to take a lead now. Right. Mm-hmm. And to start another group. It's not meant to say, I want us to explode and have 25 groups right away. It's to say right. like, I expect maybe at the end of the year, I'll have, to maybe if I'm really lucky three groups sure that's that's that is my goal mm-hmm. I, I really don't know if it's actually possible based on my own availability right now to do much more than that sure but then maybe by the end of the second year we have six or seven groups like mm-hmm. that's I want that I want it to almost like multiply a little bit yeah Um. because they need to experience this as something freeing and then maybe they so that what happens is like people at church they start talking to people after church like Oh, like oh, you do that every week or every two weeks? That sounds like I, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, they see these people as alive and like loving their faith, and they see them as happy or at least at peace and all the difficulties of life. And they'll say, "I want that." Like this is the idea, because like this is the other thing: desire for holiness is mediated through others. Yeah, we we have this very Nietzschean sense of I have to will my own holiness. Hmm. I have to desire it myself. No, no, I actually encounter it through others. And then people start experience. Like this is one of those experiences. Like. Even in these small groups, they'll say, wait, that person, man, they're really, they're really striving to pray better. I suck at prayer. I want that. <laughs> and how do you, how do you get that? Like, so the, the trust is not something, it is something that takes time, but it builds up over time and it builds up a friendship. And then you start getting connected. Like, so the idea is to allow, like, I essentially, I'm, I'm setting it up and letting the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work because I don't think I can do much more than that anyways. Yeah. I think I need to let him do that work because it's up to him. If this, if this fails, that actually tells me something. Um, and I'm okay with that actually. Yeah. Um, it actually tells me something pretty serious and, and I'm ready for it. Like I, Jesus has been pretty clear about what, what happens if this fails. Um, I actually don't think it is because I've been pitching it to families already. Yeah. Cause it's my other prong and I'm not going to go so much into this day is like we've religious said it's dead. Yeah. We have no more religious education. We're doing monthly family formation to form parents, to form kids at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but that group itself is going to be something like this almost. And that it, it's just, it's a, they are like, they're all, and they're all excited. Like I've been going to families' houses over the summer. So they're not freaked out when they find out there's no religious ed program that they yeah. have to teach. They're all on board. Wow. I've yet to have a single family, at least the ones I know who are saying, oh gosh, no, I can't do this. I don't want this. They're mm-hmm. all like, please, dear God. Yes. This is what we've been wanting. Huh. Yeah. And so, but again, if you're bringing your kids to church in my, my parish, you are, you're, you, you've bought in sure. already. 
So that's why it's easy to work with. Like they're a good base and their job. You want to evangelize? Great. There's going to be families who are going to be hesitant who are going to be there because they, they want to get their kid confirmed. Support and help them. Baptism prep families, if they aren't going to church, they have to go to a family night. That's your baptism prep. Your job is just to be, to love, as you were kind of saying uh, today yeah. uh, about evangelization earlier. Um, just love and, and, and just be that presence and speak the truth in love. And, and be present to them and they show up to their baptisms maybe if you can and, and stuff like this so and this is my two-pronged approach to say to modernity um, i'm tired of youths because this is the other thing families are tired they're tired of modernity everyone's tired of it actually it's soul-sucking it's lifeless it's meaningless it's it's destructive it's atomizing and people are so desperate for real life <laughs> And we as a church in our parishes need to reclaim the confidence that Jesus is who he says he is, which means he forms the whole of humanity, which means he even has the power to form society around himself, which is what the parish is meant to be. Mm -hmm. That's to trickle down in a subsidiary way towards the whole of the area. I love this for you. I say that condescendingly um, because <laughs> not actually, not actually. No, it's yeah, yeah, actually yeah. Here, here's what I mean by that. Um, Softness yeah. aside, I look at a place like my parish and I think we're not in a place where we have to do this. Like you're in a place where you have to do this, right? I think, I think it, it's actually a good uh, no, thing. No, actually, I'm, well, I'm actually not. Okay. Well, sorry, let me phrase that. I think I could not do this. And we'd probably make it along fine, in a way. Sure. I you, have to do this. Right. Like, like Christ has convicted my heart in this in prayer that this is what I have to do. Yeah. I guess you what know? I mean, so like, yeah, you could just, you know, not have faith formation. You've got liturgical yeah. stuff. You do liturgical stuff. That's it. You know, yeah. uh, things kind of trick along, whatever. But um, is it fair to say that you're in a place where trying something new, people are more open understanding of it? Like knowing that you don't have a staff, knowing that there's not a lot else going on in the parish. Like this is, I assume. Not a ton. I mean, that's part of it's COVID. But here's the other weird thing is actually we're one of the, our, our numbers are pretty much back to pre-COVID numbers. Fascinating. Weirdly enough. Um, so something's working. We have 13 people for RCA. That's 14 now, actually. Sorry. 14 that's amazing. people for RCA this year. All dropped out of nowhere. Like, so like things yeah. are happening in a weird way. Um, but not, not through our own efforts. Sure. Which I'm, that's, I'm big on as a pastor. I'm like, let Jesus do his work. Like not like in a passive way, but like do your best and let him do the rest. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I, okay. So I guess just bring it, I'm, I'm yeah. just thinking about my parish and the parishes that I've been at, um, yeah. that there's, because our community is so large and because there's, I mean, okay, so, so we do have successful things that happen at the parish. Mm -hmm. Like we've got our Oktoberfest and our um, summer concert series and there are all these things and people seem mm -hmm. to be happy with that and they are good. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. When I look at what you're talking about, I think it's better. I do think it's better. Um, I think it's way better. I also, um, but also with our, we have a large staff. Would our staff have enough to do? Ooh, we have to let people go. Um, it would have to, like, I'm just. Yeah. You're also dealing with a different ecclesial situation. Like, we've been talking about reorganizing right. ourselves, but yeah. like 
what I'm proposing is like, what if you don't have enough? Like, part of my idea is like, what if we don't have enough priests at all? And like, reorgan you can reorganize to the nth degree, and it won't make a difference. Right. People will have such an intense, good experience of communion in these smaller groups and everything that whether a priest is here full time, part time, or once a month, they'll be stable. Yeah, and that's I'm trying, I'm trying to create the sense of stability. Like it's almost like a Benedictine, yes, a, a real Benedict option. Yeah, and that's that's how the a church has survived in areas with not a lot of priests. It's been the community. Yeah. It's been actual people who are catechists and stuff yeah. in the home. And, okay, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I feel like a situation in many of the parishes in my area, people are still comfortable enough to not want to try anything new. Right. And I also think in my particular diocese is that everything we've been doing with reorganization has been to, whether no matter what we call it or what we say about it, it's been desperately trying to keep the status quo. Yes. And with Is enough, that going to do anything in the long term, though? Oh, no, 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 no. It's not. <laughs> but, you know, like, um, because there's been such an effort toward it, mm-hmm. people that... I mean, People are invested in this. Yes. Yeah. And they've made a lot of sacrifices, right? Like yes. parishes closing or being not getting the same stuff they used to get or whatever. Um, not having the same mass times I used to like, all mm-hmm. these things. Like I get like they've made those sacrifices already. So to go another step right now might be too much. Like it might be a sacrifice too much to ask or something like that. But also, yeah. I mean I'm also thinking just okay, more concrete about my parish. Like we could mm-hmm. easily just start this up with families who are willing and see yeah. how it goes. It doesn't have to be, yeah. we don't have to change our entire exactly. program at once. Right. Nor should right. we. Well, like I'm a, I think it is. And I think that's where it is a little different. I have, I, because of so few staff or none right, right. now, that's what um, I, mean. I have no choice in that sense. Like personally, because if this, if I'm going to be running this place, I need people to be able to start to be able to govern themselves as Catholics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and to take like this is the idea. I want them to take responsibility. I want like like one of these little ideas I've had. Like this like a little scenario I thought of myself. Like you're going to someone's house, and and every time you go there every week, you see this old lady next door who's sitting on her front porch every week. One week you just go up and say, "Hey, how's it going?" Oh, good, you know. And like, <laughs> oh, I see you guys. Like, I see you go in every week. Like, wow, you guys all look so happy. Like, what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's a church group. Oh, oh, which church? Oh, St. Peter's. Oh, you're Catholic. I didn't know Catholics did this. And they yeah. go, yeah. Like, well, I'm Catholic. And like they just invite her over one night, and yeah. maybe she comes back to the church or something like that, or just just saying hi. Like you, you take a responsibility for the area you're practicing this in, almost like this is the idea. It's like to really allow the the leaven of the gospel to touch. Like this is the thing: grace is not abstract; it actually takes materiality very seriously. And yeah. if we're not in places where grace can have its effect if we're not allowing like literally like I, i've always been against like the notion like sprinkling grace but like in a way this is almost what we're doing here by sprinkling people yeah all across the area yeah and saying mediate grace here mm-hmm. for us that's that's your job that's this is where that universal sacrament salvation thing comes in yeah it's your job it's your job <laughs> and, and so um then the parish really become like my my prayer would be almost like the parish building becomes like the place for liturgy and that's pretty much it and maybe like it can be a place of festivity again too, right? But it's yeah. like, but it's something that people are wanting, mm-hmm. and because they've had a good experience, and they want this to be a place of festivity. But like I would love, like I've said to parents, I'm like imagine you're with a bunch of families for your group, right? 
and you all have kids who are teenagers now. You want a youth group. Well, like, you're just doing it at someone's home now. Yeah. That's your freedom as a Christian. You don't even need my permission as a pastor to do this because you're just doing this as Christian parents. Mm. God bless you. Go nuts. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, you're taking responsibility for your faith here. And I guess, like, because it does, like, but it does rub up against, like, because, like, I know what you guys have done, Pittsburgh, but it's, like, this is becoming a very strong model in the States right now. Everyone's, like, monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. And I know, and, I, again, it comes from a bit of a good place of, like, if we keep on do- because we, keep, we know, like, this is the thing. It's coming from a truth. We know that if we do the status quo, priests are going to burn out. They're going to leave. We're going to have a lot less priests if we do the same thing. We're not going to be able to do the same stuff. We need to, like, reorganize our efforts, blah, blah, blah. Very much a truth there. I guess my worry is, have we been taking the notion of parish, of localness, of grace, and the church's role as forming a social area of a parish area seriously enough in discerning how we're governing this? Yeah, because if we're not, we've actually now just gone into worldly forms of governance, bureaucratic solutions that never address the real spiritual issue. Yeah, yep. And that's my concern. And I want—I would love to say, hey, we're going to reorganize our diocese, but we're going to do this in around a sacramental mode, essentially. Yeah. I don't know. So this is. I love monologue-y. it. No, 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 I love I know, it. It's all um, a little monologue, but and no, I have. I could speak for hours on this right now. I'm, I'm very to. excited to see how this works. I'm glad you are doing this because I really want to see it. Well, um, I'm, yeah, and I'm I'm doing it with young adults on purpose. Yeah, because they're also good experiment subjects. Yeah, they're not as attached <laughs> I, to listen, things. Some of them uh, listen to the podcast, so they, and they know this. I've told some of them this already. I'm like, you know, you're and like I'm on university campus finally this year, and yeah. so we're gonna get people from that too. And I want. This is the other thing. Like, this becomes an easier way to like, we have a lot of foreign students here. Ooh, mm-hmm. They can engage with scripture. That's easy. Yeah. If I give them like an intense theological subject, that might be too much for them sure. right now because of a language barrier or something. But they can read John's gospel with us mm-hmm. and pray with it mm-hmm. and, and analyze their experience. Um, so it's, it's, and it's going to be bumpy and it's going to have failures too. Um, but I feel like Jesus put it, is pretty much made it, absolutely clear i have to try this mm-hmm. i have to because my hope in prayer is that if it works or at least half works then this is something other parishes can try out i'm already yeah. finding out like other parishes are trying the family catechetical model too yeah like um which is great i think i think that's actually a very it, it's saying parents are the primary educators but just think like imagine sharing your faith on a weekly basis outside of church and then like you go to mass on Sunday you get to see those people again you're excited yeah. you're excited to go to mass this is the idea mass should be exciting to go to not like in this like ooh I'm going to mass ooh, but it's like you're yeah. happy to be with your friends yeah because Christ has called us and this is the thing it's pure gift because that's why I'm like I'm not calling it so much community I'm calling it communion on purpose because mm-hmm. it's something Christ builds yeah we build community and there's a community element, but actually something deeper, it's communion. Mm-hmm. It's something that Christ draws us around him as the center. He's the center of our friendship. And so this gifted reality is experienced in such a foundational way that when they go to mass on Sunday, I want to be there because my friends are there. And those friends are a gift to me through Jesus, which is what the church is meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> and the cool little thing I'll shut up after this is, I have pictures even to a few older people in my parish. Yeah. They want this too. Great. So I'm like, this could become a unifier. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we're doing this year. It's exciting. Pray for me, please, please pray for me. I need, I need some, I need, I definitely need some help with this. So, uh, um, please pray, please, for please sure, dear God, pray. But 
Yeah. Thanks for letting me monologue on that one. No, no, I liked it. It was I was thinking the entire time. Anyway, um, all right, great. Go eat. Yes. Uh, thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me searching the directory for something to eat. You can find me on Twitter at fr Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at Clerical Pod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Do you have a theological emergency? Call 412-912-7995. That's 412-912-7995. Peace. God bless. Sehr gut.